What iceberg? Right. Full full All ahead. F- okay, let's full ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. All ahead full. All ahead full. All ahead full. There you go. I was thinking of no, 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 uh, no full speed ahead. All ahead full. Um, that's what they say on uh, the Yellow Submarine. Yeah, so. they're wrong. All ahead full. All ahead one third. All ahead two thirds. Or you suddenly you're a sea captain. I'm just saying I've watched a lot of boat movies. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and as every week, I am your host, and I'm joined tonight by my friend, Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. Well, I mean, you say it like I'm also not here every week. That's fair. That's fair. You are here every week. That's true. I appreciate that. You know, it's what I do. We do this together. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? Well, have you subscribed to the pod yet? They're listening, Scott. They've probably subscribed. Have you downloaded it? Except for my mother, who listens on Facebook. Have you rated it? Do you want Blue Apron gift cards? I don't. No, I don't think they do. Their uh, Blue Apron's membership is declining month after month. Everyone's already tried them out. It's fine. But my issue is there's a lot of waste, like all the boxes and stuff. Yeah, dude. Let's Bitcoin. Let's get Bitcoin to sponsor us. Bitcoin is not actually a company. Well, I mean, like one of the like, you know, one of the markets, like one of the exchanges. I don't think that they... They're too shady. They're dealing on an international level, and we are talking about Oklahoma politics. You don't think that they would want to sponsor a podcast with both of our listeners? Nope. Definitely don't. What if both of our listeners want to invest in cryptocurrency? Well, then they're listening to the wrong podcast. (laughs) (laughs) They're really missing out. So today, uh, a couple of things. We're trying out some new microphone setup tonight, so we'll see how this sounds tomorrow. Uh, We've heard your feedback. Ooh, that's an audio joke. There it is. Look at you. Wordplay. Uh, so we are going to take a break from our kind of community series to discuss what's been going on at the State Department of Health because it's important and it looks like it's starting to affect maybe some of what we would maybe describe as being our wheelhouse of Oklahoma politics and the legislature and uh, elected official races yeah. and that kind of thing. I mean, this is really, you know, this is, I mean, this is turning into, um, I mean, just a huge cluster. I mean, it's, it's, I think the scope of this thing, I don't know that, I think there were some people, as we'll see, that maybe realized the scope of this, but I think a lot of people didn't. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, new information is coming out almost daily right now uh, about how long this has been going on and how deep the problem really goes. Yeah, it's been really interesting this week. And if you happen to uh, listen in or, uh, or read about the testimony that was given on Tuesday from uh, former Chief Operating Officer Deborah Nichols um, from the, the State Department of Health. She gave, I don't know if I'd classify it as scathing, but as a, a very transparent, very forthcoming testimony to the House committee that's investigating this. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's by far the, the most comprehensive, certainly timeline of events that we've gotten in terms of what was happening in the department when, you know, the the leadership there started to be made aware of financial problems. And I think I think scathing is fair. I mean, you look at this, um, you know, the notes that she presented, you read the testimony. I mean, I think scathing is is absolutely fair. Now, I also think there's a little bit of 
CYA here, and I'm I'm not well, sure because she left the agency because of all this debacle, right? And I'm and again, I want to make really clear, like when I say CYA, I'm not at all trying to imply that she had anything to do with anything that was. You know, I'm not I'm not, not, not trying to say that she's um, trying to cover herself because she did anything improper. I think this is just her saying. Look, y'all, I did my best to bring this to attention. I did my best to fix it. And when I found out that I couldn't, I peaced out. Right. And I've I've had a lot of friends that work at the Department of Health. And kind of what I've heard, you know, just uh, over the last several years was that there was things that were wrong and they, but they didn't know who to talk to to get it fixed. And so the, everyone was pretty frustrated. And I think that may have contributed to this culture of uh, deception and maybe incompetence. I don't know. That's, yeah. You know, we've, we've, <sighs> remarked several times as this scandal has unfolded that it doesn't seem like um, any of this was, you know, this wasn't done out of a, uh, you know, an embezzlement, like people trying to line their own pockets with health department money where our, our suspicion was that this happened because programs that should have been terminated weren't. It was kind of this shuffling, you know, kind of uh, the shell game of trying to move money money around. Yeah, it's straight up mismanaged to keep to keep things funded. But what I was, what I was going to say is, while I still think it seems true that people weren't trying to line their own pockets, the I mean, if we're to believe Deborah Nichols, and I don't know why we shouldn't, the kind of blase attitude that it seems like they had to this massive financial problem, really just. Uh, I mean, I don't even know the right word for it. I mean, just you're... It's shocking. Yeah, I mean, just like how can... It's I mean, appalling. Right, like appalling is probably the best word. Like it's just, it's stunning I, to yeah, me. Yeah, I was sitting at my desk listening to her testimony going, oh my God, like this is... And I, I texted a friend that's a healthcare policy wonk and I said, this is everything that I had heard was going on and everything that I feared was going on, all of it coming out all at once. Like I was just like staring at my computer going, oh, this is terrible. Um Go ahead. Well, and it and it's really frustrating um, because I think that both of us, you know, we've talked about it some on the pod, and then just, you know, on our own lives and personal conversations. I think both of us are advocates for the idea that government is a fundamentally can be a force for good in people's lives. Yes, right. That government um, does not have to be this you know inefficient machine that exists solely to make everybody's life worse. Right. Right. Um, and this is the perfect example of the contrary argument, which is like, see, why don't we just privatize this? Because right, like, yeah, this feeds this, this right is, into that narrative. This is what happens when you let government do anything. God, it makes um, me so mad. It does, because it's, it, it really does. Um, you know, and, you know, now the counter argument is obviously there's private companies to do this too. Hello, Intron, uh, Enron, WorldCom, right? Like, there's companies that engage in this kind of mismanagement as well, but I don't think that they, you know, you should trust your State Department of Health, right? You should, like... You should be able to feel like that they're providing good services. You should be able to feel like they're... Well, there are thousands of people who work there that are really great public servants and do really difficult work for not much money. And they do good work. And to have the leadership be so brazen with their incompetence and so lacking in their character is just maddening. And I think you're exactly right that this gives fuel to the fire of the other side that there's all this waste, fraud, and abuse. And there wasn't really any... Yeah, they just they spent funds on things that are arguably good purposes. They just shouldn't have spent. They should right. have cut I mean, things in the past. So I mean, we'll if, get you, into if it. you if you don't have the money, you don't have the money, right? And that sucks to have to tell people. But if you can't, you can't, right? Right. I like the that. the answer is not to <laughs> do this. Right. 
Right. So maybe let's take Deborah Nichols' testimony. She she provided a timeline to the House committee, and, and members of the media had, had tweeted pictures of it out, and I saved those pictures because it was really interesting. And then she kind of went through it and and just kind of discussed each item a little more robustly uh, before the House committee, and they were able to ask questions about each item. So let's we're going to go through that timeline here so that all of our listeners are kind of up to date because I'm sure not everyone followed along. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll hit most of the highlights, I think. Um, and then we'll kind of come back and recap what's happened, where we're at, and and what's happening next. Yeah, you know, like like looking through this, I mean, do you want to start? Your, who's starting? So I'll, I'll start. So this starts, her timeline starts, uh, and this is based on her recollection of events. Uh, it starts at the end of 2015, early 2016. So this is before Let's Fix This was around. Yeah. This is about the time that this state was announcing last year that we were facing, because the Board of Equalization would have just met like they did this week, um, and they announced then that we had a revenue failure. And that, uh, and the first one or second one, first one, I guess, because the second one's like later in the spring. Right. So they would have just announced that there was a revenue failure for the state, meaning the state was not bringing in enough revenue to pay all its bills. And they were going to miss the projected revenue by more than 5%, I think. And so around that same time, the end of the year, two years ago, um, they the Department of Health was remodeling some floors, and if you've never been in that, have you been in that building, Scott? It's, it's been a minute, but yeah, it's uh, it's one of Dante's level of hell. Yeah, um, it's I, in need of remodel between three and four, I think. And it's I've been there a bunch, and it's really old. It is literally crumbling, weird sconces, and like the lights flicker, and the yeah. ceilings are low. It's it's a depressing place. It is the most depressing building I've ever been in. I'm and I'm not even exaggerating it's terrible uh the paint is peeling everywhere it's terrible um and so they were remodeling and i did wonder i heard they were remodeling i wondered how do they get money for that knowing that our state was in a pinch so they were spending eight million dollars which sounds like a lot but it's not that much when you're remodeling like a giant corporate building um it was supposed to be available to remodel two of the floors or no three of the floors 10 10 through 12 uh, and they had to stop the remodeling because they didn't have the money. And Deborah Nichols said this is the first time that she became aware that there was a problem, was that they suddenly stopped this remodeling. So that was yes, that was December Jan- December 2015, January 2016. Um, over the next couple of months, there were you know some discussions that took place. And the next real big thing was in March of 20, 2016 um, that the CFO left. The chief financial officer for Department of Health left. And there was a recruiting search uh, to start looking for a new chief financial officer. And this was not the first one to leave. So from what I've heard, during Terry Klein's reign as commissioner, reign is probably an overstatement, but while he was there as commissioner, they've been through three or four CFOs. Yeah, that's right. I don't remember the exact number, but that's right. So that was March. And then in April, May, they hadn't found a CFO yet, so... They was an effort started to kind of reorganize how finances were managed within the department overall. This right. was in April, May of 2016. And so like by Ju- July or that summer, they decentralized finance and broke it into like four different departments, budgeting, revenue, receipts, grants, reporting, payment. And it was kind of all spread out, which 
there may be a good reason for that, but it does seem a little weird to like take something as important as, as finances and spread it out so that the folks that are spending money are disconnected from those that are receiving money. Yeah, yeah. And so then by August, there were weekly finance meetings with all of these people, the, the leaders of these new um, kind of financial departments. And by August of 2016, it was clear that there were some significant problems. So um, evidence that they were unable to make payroll, um, they were having to uh, take out loans, um, revenue streams had for like from Medicaid and other uh, insurance payers had uh, decreased uh, substantially. Um, the federal grant reporting, which is something that's supposed to be done annually, was behind by years. Um, they weren't paying invoices in a timely manner. Um, different, finan- you know, the different um, folks that were in charge of departments within uh, the State Department of Health and and in charge of the financial reporting of those departments weren't talking to each other. Um, and this, you know, we've we've already identified several issues. But one thing that we'll come back to, um, Andy, you're finishing your business degree right now, your master's of business administration. Yes. Is the term PNP, as in payroll, not posted? Is that a standard accounting term? I've not had a lot of accounting classes, but my understanding is no, that is not a standard accounting. What about the term borrows? Yeah, that's not a real term. I mean, is that even a word? No. I mean, it's a verb, I yeah, guess. I mean, it's a, yeah. So if he, you... he borrows this from her, but it, can you use borrows as a noun? Oh, that's a good question. Because this is what we're saying. Oh, this is a when borrow. You're, when you're you making up that, when you're making up accounting gestures, you can make up words too. I think. So I think the the point here would be when you're running an agency with thousands of employees and a budget in the hundreds of millions of dollars, probably should adhere to standard accounting practices. One would think. Just seems like a good idea. So this is August of 2016. Uh, so yeah, and from that, yeah, that payrolls not posted is. Not a good sign. And again, this is more than a year ago from where we're at today. And they, there were other things going on, like that they hadn't been paying vendors for more than like 90 days. They were trying to get down to just a 90-day window. Most payment terms are like a net 30 where you pay them within 30 days, maybe 60 days. 90 days is generally on the aging report. Like beyond, that's where you start discussing collections. It's a bad deal. And everyone knows that stuff at the state moves slowly, but this was exceptionally slow uh, and definitely not a good deal. And so by September through December, the fall of 2016, the budget was projected to be a $6 million deficit. Uh, and they, the leadership attributed it to a couple of things, but it seems like that might not have been entirely correct. <laughs> So FY17, budget is showing a $6 million deficit. The response from leadership is that we, quote, have the money. Or. What? Like, we have the money. Oh, we've got Or it's because Medicaid revenues, and once those come back, it shouldn't be a problem. Which shows a lack of understanding of what's happening in the state, because I think all of us knew. You don't know that that money's coming back. Well, you know it's not. Like, once these things get cut, it's not coming back. That's why people fight against cutting it, is because... You're not going to suddenly get more money. Well, and, and again, not a business, not a, I'm not a businessman per se, but I don't feel like you're like, oh, well, we'll just go ahead and like run this huge deficit, which one, state agencies aren't allowed to do. And two, oh, that'll be fine because that money's, that, we'll, we'll get it later. Right. That's an important point is that state agencies are constitutionally forbidden from issuing debt. Only the legislature can issue debt. And uh, and so for the state, for the 
and the agency and they to can operate. only do it in the form of bonds, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, and so for the Department of Health to basically be operating with debt was a violation of the state constitution. So here we are at the end of the fir- of the first year of this timeline. So just at the end of 2016, uh, we're six million in the hole. We still don't have a new CFO. Still don't have a new CFO. And there's efforts to bring in a prior CFO, which, given the current state of the finances, doesn't seem like the best idea. Or a, quote, known friend. What the hell does that mean? It's just like somebody who's going to say, like, come in and look at the books and be like, oh, you guys, this is fine. I know a guy. (laughs) Not a big deal. I know a guy. He's good with money. He'll come in. We'll get him to start. So it's been a year, and they haven't found someone that was qualified. And so now they're still discussing... Or they've been able to find someone who's both qualified and willing to take the job. Right. And that's the hard part. And, you know, just in a, in a global sense, to pull out of the timeline for a minute, from what I've heard, uh, at least two of the four CFOs were basically run off because they identified some of this bad business going on and they tried to bring it to light and they were kind of shuffled out. I don't know if there's any documentation of that, but I've heard that they basically were left quickly uh, and so that kind of indicates that this this culture was known by some of the leadership and not accepted like I, I I hear your complaints or your concerns and I reject them and I reject you go find a new job yeah and then, you know I mean and, and if that's the case I mean you can't blame these people for leaving like it's infuriating to be in a job where you feel like you have things to contribute and those things are you know, or, or not, or be beyond things to contribute. Where you feel like you have expertise in an area, and you you use that to make recommendations, and it's like, nah, we're good, right? We got it. So then, in March of this year, March of 2017, they restart the CFO search, and they are focused on finding the CFO with strong financial skill set and capable of exercising independent judgment. They hire someone. Like all CFOs? Isn't that like kind of the deal? One would hope. And so they hire someone, and the COO, who was Deborah Nichols here, who wrote this, requests a meeting with Terry Klein, the commissioner, Julie Cox-Kane, the deputy commissioner, and this new CFO to discuss the state of finances. The person just started, and what happened, Scott? Uh, The meeting was refused. Refused? Like, no, we're not going to discuss this. I know you just started, and you should be the head of finances for this giant state agency that's likely plunged into debt of $6 to $10 million, but no need to meet. Nothing to see here. Go on about your business. Carry on. Talk amongst yourselves. Go, go, go on. You've got shit to do, and so do I. (laughs) Gosh. All right, so uh, that kind of continues. The COO, uh, Deborah Nichols, requests a confidential meeting with Julie Cox Kane, who was the deputy commissioner, to discuss concerns about finances. Deborah says nothing comes of the meeting and that Julie doesn't believe the numbers. And I can I just don't, now, like, I don't, I don't understand this. Let's step out for a second and put yourself in Julie Cox Kane's shoes. And I've not met Julie, I can't, I don't know anything about her. Uh, besides what I've just heard through the media and through people who work there and through this document that Deborah Nichols provided um, and then kind of the light in which she was cast. If you are deputy commissioner of the Oklahoma State Department of Health and your COO, your chief operating officer, comes to you and says, hey, man, like we're in bad shape. You remember... Um, like five months ago when I told you six months ago, nine months ago that I told you that we were 6 million short. 
Uh, it's not gotten any better. What do you want to do about it? And I show you the numbers. How do you respond? I mean, I can't speak for Miss Julie Cox Kane. I know that I would very likely stick both fingers in two of my ears and start singing a song. La, 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 la. I think that's what I would do. That sounds reasonable. Which appears that that's what Miss um, Kane appears she and I have that in common. Yeah. So this brings us to July. July is a pivotal month. July of 2017. Lots of things happened in July. July 13th of 2017. She asks, Deborah Nichols asks for a confidential meeting with Commissioner Terry Klein. They meet for about 45 minutes. She stresses that the agency is on the verge of financial collapse. And she tells him that the senior deputy commissioner, Julie Cox Kane, and operations manager are involved in the transaction. So, so uh, not, not just like we're short, like we're short a couple bucks. Okay. Like the verge of financial collapse. Like we are shortly within days, no longer going to be able to continue operating the, the, the Titanic. We've hit an iceberg, right? Sir. Right. This is not good. This is kind of like iceberg right ahead moment so right here. Five days later at the next senior leadership meeting, uh, Deborah Nichols and the new CFO present the state of the finances and the problem that they are approximately 25 to $30 million, maybe worse, um, short. And that meeting only lasted an hour. So I'm a little, I mean, and I'm not expecting Deborah Nichols to be able to recount all the details of this, but I just read this and I go, okay, so it started at eight, then it went to six. And then within two months it was 30 like what? Like what the hell? Yeah, good right? point. So, like, how did we how did we go from eight to thirty? So, from six to thirty. So, in the fall of twenty sixteen, September through December is when she, is what she specifies. Sometime in the fall, uh, the budget was showing six million deficit. I mean, and was the agency, by July it's up to thirty? So, I mean, it was the agency losing five million a month, and if that's the case, then is it really sixty million now? Six months after all this, mm-hmm. like. I mean, I'm just confused. That's a really good question, Scott. That's a terrifying question. So I think um, the next thing is uh, sometime in July, the Board of Health, the State Board of Health meets. And so the Board of Health is a a governing body, right? It's, I don't know, 15-ish people, 12, 20, something like that. Um, People who are charged with overseeing the Department of Health and providing advisement and guidance and oversight. And what we've heard time and time again is that the information presented to the Board of Health by Commissioner Klein was not correct. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. No problems. On a green, yellow, red light scale, he said, green light, keep going. So in July, the uh, Board of Health uh, was informed by Commissioner Klein and the internal auditor. So this is the internal auditor, not state auditor, Gary Jones, uh, the internal auditor of the situation. And over the course of the next few weeks, they get feedback that uh, they hear that Terry Klein is telling the board that it's just finger pointing and the numbers are not real. Which is what we heard from. Which is what I had heard on the street was that he was straight up telling the board. Everything's with your, fine. With your ear to the ground. I would listened. I heard. <laughs> and, then, and then so this is, this is all kind of taking place in July, but I think a pivotal moment is July 21st. Um, so July 21st, um, the department... Uh, is concerned that they don't have money to make payroll. 
Um, they there's Uh-oh. a oopsie. Uh, there's a meeting between the COO, uh, Commissioner Klein, and Deputy Commissioner Kane. The CFO is present at this meeting as well. Um, at this point, there were fifteen dollars left in federal funds. Okay. So fifteen dollars left in federal funds. And so, from what she said during the testimony, was that it was fifteen dollars left in the Ryan White Fund. And I happen to know a little bit about this because it's about the HIV services that the state provides, and the federal Ryan White HIV and AIDS program is a program in which I'm familiar. Uh, and so, that fund for the state, to give you some perspective, um, so. The state receives between seven and nine million dollars a year in in Ryan White dollars, um, and this provides treatment, care, and access prevention stuff for people with HIV. So we'll say on the low end, seven million dollars. This happened in July. The fiscal year for the Ryan White program begins on April first. So they would have received a big chunk of money, maybe not the whole thing, but a big chunk of it on April first. And by July 21st, there's only $15 left. And so this really speaks to what, you know, we've said and a lot of people have said has been going on is that they've been using federal funding to meet state obligations for which they didn't have the money. Right. And this all came to light because eventually that gravy train kind of ran out. Like, Well, yeah. And here's what I think happened. No, we'll wait on that. I'll tell you what I think happened after we get to the timeline. Onward. All ahead full. All ahead full. So, so also in July, the uh, the state audit starts, and uh, the CFO begins making efforts to correct certain attestations to the report and contacts the state auditor. So somewhere in July, things kind of hit the fan, and they said, hey, come take a look at this stuff. Yeah, time to, time to look into this. And I, and, and I and think Mr. Happened, Klein requested that audit, right? Isn't that, isn't he that did, but not... Was it in July? I thought it was later than that. No, he didn't request it until he said that they were ten million short, and that was oh, until right. August. That's, that's later. Oh, this was so that was uh, so that was after their retreat. So the state agency is in the whole thirty million dollars. The state department's house in the whole thirty million dollars. So what do they do in uh, August eleventh and twelfth? They go to Stillwater and have a retreat with the board. Um, there was at that meeting um, a discussion about the finances, and at that. <laughs> At that meeting, several things became clear. So, number one, the agency had open periods, meaning that they had not they had periods in which they had not for which they were unable to close their books, dating back to 2011. Right, and so that's a like a common business practice, right? Is at the end of the month you go through everything, you balance your checkbook, and you kind of say, all right, everything for that month is done. Right. Onto the and you make sure it balances at the end of the month. Right. My and mom has done that with her checkbook forever. I do it with mine. That's the way you do business. Apparently, the State Department of Health hasn't done that for six years. So that seems problematic. Whoopsie-daisy. Um, also, at that meeting, this is, again, the first uh, second weekend in August of this year, um, it was discussed with the board that the agency could not meet its current operating costs and would therefore be unable to close out prior periods, and that the agency was at, quote, grave risk of current oper- of continued operations. So we find out that they haven't been balancing their checkbook, that they don't have enough money to meet their current operating costs. They're not going to be able to balance their checkbook because they're so short of funds and that they don't even know if they have enough money where they're going to be able to continue 
going forward. So, Andy, what do you think happened after this meeting? Did they follow up to this meeting? Scott? No. No follow up? No. Nothing at all? No. None. That makes total sense. That's what I would do. Right. Well, ignorance is bliss. And, and apparently somewhere around this time period is when Commissioner Klein and Deputy, Deputy Commissioner Kane decided that $10 million was the actual budget deficit. Like, this is the first. So, so just to kind of tie this all up with events more recently. So we've known now for several weeks that the department was facing a $10 million. Well, what was what we were told was a $10 million budget shortfall. August of 2017 is the first time we see that number referenced specifically. Mm-hmm. And from what we can tell in this timeline, it appears that they just pulled that out of their head, the air, the ass. I don't know what orifice it came from, but we've seen eight, we've seen six, we've seen 25 to 30, but somewhere in August 2017, we get 10. I don't know how. So from what Deborah Nichols said was that the 10 million was the how much they were short for that current fiscal year and that disregarded previous years. And so they were really just focused on that one year. Oh, we don't have to pay that back? Right. Well, just forget about the past. We'll talk about right now. This money. This is what we need. This year's money. Never mind what we don't. And that's like saying, all right. And, and you know what? This is kind of ironic, I guess. But it reminds me of so many clients with whom I've worked that are living check to check. Yeah. And they're trying to pay their bills. Yeah. And that they've, you know, they didn't pay Ogini last month, or they were paid part of it. They could pay sixty bucks, but they owed seventy eight. They're short, and so that you know, rolls over, and they're like, "I just gotta pay what I can," and they're hoping just to get by. And they're like, "But if I pay this month, can you just forgive that?" Or or they're current for a few months, but they missed yeah. one. Yeah. And it's that same mentality, and I, I sympathize with that. You know, yeah. like I get it that like it's. I, there's been plenty of times in my life where like money's been tight and I've not been able to pay all my bills and I've had to you know ask mom and dad for help or I've just had to punt and like figure things out, yeah. sell plasma, whatever you got to do. And have uh, you ever sold plasma? Yeah. For real? Yeah. We got to talk about that. I've never done it. Really? August of 2017, there is a leadership meeting where they're really focused on the finances of the agency. And for some reason, Commissioner Klein and Associate Commissioner Kane are focused on this $10 million number. They don't, apparently, according to Deborah Nichols, they don't want to talk about any prior over expenditures. They don't want to talk about any other non-payroll expenditures. Um, they're really just focused on $10 million, which is the budget shortfall for the current fiscal year. Right. And ignores everything stuff, right. that, that was missing This is what we need for this earlier. year just to get through. Yeah. Right. That was August 2017. I really think they they believe that they at some point things would turn around and they would get more money, despite the fact that uh, all between, evidence to the contrary. Right between 2009 and 2016, the Department of Health their their state appropriations were cut by 25 percent, so they lost a fourth of their budget, um, and so they had less money to operate with in this story than they did 10 years ago. And, you know, and kind of, again, as we've done a couple times, pulling, pulling back and kind of taking the macro view. I think that's an important point to make because while I certainly, you know, the, the leadership at the department um, has clearly been lacking and they've made some very, very terrible decisions. Full stop. Mm -hmm. It is a little, not a little, a lot aggravating to me to sit and watch these hearings, listen to them, 
look at the responses on Twitter at the sanctimonious and self-righteous attitude of some of the legislators that are doing the questioning in this hearings. Well, how dare you do this? And how dare you do that? And how dare you? You cut their budget by 25%. You put them in a horrible position because you lack the political will or the conscience or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it to give them the money they need to do their job. You wouldn't give them the money and they may do in a terrible way, but it was the only way that they could hoping that the situation would improve. And now you sit here and act like this situation is entirely their fault. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily def- like defend Terry Klein and Julie Cox Kane. No, not at all. But I'm not going to defend the legislature either. Right. I mean, I think it was a bad situation on both sides, right? It was, they had less to deal with. They didn't handle it properly. I don't, I disagree with the cuts in the first place. I disagree with how they handled the cuts. It, but the whole thing was a mess. I mean, yeah. I mean, I just, that like listening to that, like, I get that the legislature is trying to perform oversight, which is their responsibility. And I also, it is 100% correct to say that the way leadership of the department handled the cuts was wrong. Like there's no, but, but just this, I don't know. Some of the questions have taken on a real holier than thou attitude, which kind of pisses me off. It's always easy to throw stones, right? So, all right, so this brings us up to September 1st, which uh, on the side, from testimony we heard last week, September 1st is when State Auditor Gary Jones, who's also running for governor, it's when he says that he texted the governor about this. However, the governor's chief of staff, Chris Binge, testified last week that there was nothing until September 25th. So a difference of about a month, right? And that's been a kind of a focus of this of the House investigative committee is to find out who knew what when and to figure out which I, I they're trying to figure out whose fault this is here's the deal is that clearly commissioner klein lied about the numbers and so even though some people had discovered it like maybe lots of people knew a part of the story but no one really knew the whole story no one got involved yeah so yeah all right so that was september 1st uh and pretty much then you know furloughs uh are being discussed, working on that. And it um, starts going through uh, the Office of Management and Enterprise Services, OMES. And and so one thing I wanted to ask about, the, and you may know this, so there's a meeting in September with some officials from OMES who apparently recommended using federal funds in Fund 400 to help make payroll and put funds back later. I don't think that's legal, right? Well, I don't know what Fund 400 is. But you can only use federal funds for what they're earmarked for, right? Right, but I don't know what they were, if they were general or earmarked or whatever. But if it's a a specific restricted fund thing, then yeah, that'd be a big deal. Uh, That would be more of what was already happening. And so then by the end of the month, September 28th, is when Commissioner Klein requested uh, an internal audit from the state auditor. He sent a letter over there. And that's 18 months after we knew there was a problem. Well, 18 months after someone knew there's a problem, but not you and I. Well, that's true. We didn't true. know until October 30th. So that moves us into October. Um, so there's a tri-board meeting, which is the Oklahoma City 
City County Health Department, Tulsa City County Health Department, and the state uh, Department of Health. They had a big board meeting um, to discuss finances and what's going on. And I think this might have been the meeting where Terry Klein asked the counties to basically pay $2 million um, for STD treatment that the state had rendered. From what I've heard, the the counties had told the state for like five years, hey, we've got this. We'll handle all this stuff. Don't do it. Yeah. And they kept doing it. Yeah. And they were like, no, no, we've got it. Don't do it. Yeah. They kept doing it. And so finally they had to say, you know what? Like, we're not going to pay you back for this. We told you not to do it. You right. shouldn't have done it in the first place. Right. If you did it, it's on your dime. And, and here we are. So that happened. Uh, and then it you know, kind of continues on. Um, more big meetings, more discussion about that. And then at the end of October, uh, the 26th and 27th, they were having some meetings uh, on a Thursday and Friday afternoon with Julie. This is very, and you know, Deborah's timeline gets very specific. Internal meetings on Thursday afternoon and Friday with Julie Cox Kane, and on Friday with Julie Cox Kane and Terry Klein, along with Deborah Nichols, the CFO, and the policy director. The meetings are a final attempt to persuade them to go to the legislature and ask for a supplemental appropriation of money, which they finally did. So that is in that time period. Uh, October 27th in particular is when Preston Dorflinger, who is the state finance secretary and um, is now the uh, temporary uh, interim commissioner for the Department of Health, That's he says that's when he became aware uh, because the health department requested a waiver to avoid paying health benefits to employees that had been laid off in reduction of force. So they laid off a bunch of people and they said, hey, can we just not pay their health insurance after we laid them off as a way to save money, which just totally screws those hardworking people over, right? Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Right. That's exactly, <laughs> that is exactly right. I mean, if you got laid off, sucks anyway you lost your job and then to be like you know what we screwed up so we're not gonna pay your insurance right that sucks worse yeah hey i know this is really terrible but just as an extra present uh go to hell right exactly right so then a couple of days later october 30th there was the emergency board of health meeting uh where terry klein resigned and uh so did julie cox kane who was the deputy senior commissioner and the operations manager um, also tendered the resignations, and that's really when the public became aware of the situation. Are, are are both of them being investigated by the FBI now, or just one? Well, we don't know. Oh, yes, no one can comment. No one can comment. Um, yeah, yeah, you heard that right. The freaking FBI is in town investigating the Oklahoma State Department of Health. Right, so, all right, so let's pull back. So we talked for a long time of this timeline to kind of lay it out, and maybe let's do a quick recap. So... What happened? Well, first, Terry Klein uh, was appointed to lead the Department of Health in 2009, I believe. And uh, Julie Cox Kane was hired shortly thereafter, and she kind of rose up a little bit, became senior deputy commissioner. And they, uh, and from what Deborah Nichols said, uh, Julie was really the one that was running the show. Terry Klein was in some ways like a figurehead, I guess. And Julie had created these two, uh, we'll call them departments, but the Center for the Advancement of Wellness, which included the obesity and tobacco cessation efforts on the part of the State Department of Health, and then also the Center for Health Innovation and Effectiveness, 
which seems to be more research and policy focused. And from what I can gather, those were not not otherwise funded departments within the Department of Health. Yeah. So, and, and I fully believe that she probably started those with the intent of like doing something good, right? Like we probably yeah. need more focus on these things. We need to get into it, really dig into the numbers, do some research, write some good policy and make some really substantial steps to write the ship for Oklahoma's public health because it sucks. Because right. people, are, we have a terrible health outcomes yeah. across the board. So, so the intent I think was good. The problem may have been that the state started, that these things were not funded in the beginning and maybe they thought they had the money, but then year after year after year of reductions of cuts to state money, uh, state appropriations meant that they were less able to continue this. And so they had a choice. They could either cut these programs, they could cut these, lay off these staff a little at a time, or they could do what they did, and that's to play, buy, the, show, play the shell game. Right, play the shell game. Find the money somewhere, move the money around, be like, you know, we'll borrow from them today, we'll pay them back in a few months. Oh. Well, because so so the thing is is I think I think kind of another point to put about that that timeline is what else happened in late two thousand eight two thousand nine the financial collapse mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. so it may be that you know Julie was was there she had these grand plans for how she wanted to improve and reform the way that we do public health in Oklahoma which sounds fantastic if you have money but then you have this global health crisis the price of oil and natural gas fall through the floor the legislature starts cutting every single year i mean we've said before i mean many many times on the pod that when we talk about this current state of the budget in oklahoma we always compare to fiscal year 2009 because that's the last year that it was really like like at a, at a level that would be typical right like that's was pre like that's the last year that we have kind of pre-recession appropriations that reflect where we were as a state and compared to 2009 across the board we're down net we're, we're down now by 40 percent um uh, as a as a whole i don't know where the department of health is specifically but i, I found that they had been cut 25 percent between 2009 and 2016 i know they received a little bit of a cut this last year as well yeah. but i don't know how much right so the, so they've lost a quarter of their budget not the time to be starting two new programs that you know could consume tens of millions of dollars by themselves right so yeah so they tapped in and we'll say borrowed those borrows right from other funding streams ryan white uh, federal funding the hiv funding being one of them there are some others as well and uh, and then use that to kind of shore up their shortfall and listeners at home are probably asking themselves can you do that is that legal no no right correct no. Negative. Negative blue leader. You cannot use restricted federal funds for your state projects. Okay. If we're just, it's, it's negative ghost right of the pattern is full. That's just the quote. Maybe in your world. No. Negative, negative ghost right of the pattern is full. But I was speaking to blue leader, not ghost writer. Fine. Who's blue leader? Star Wars? I don't know. I am quoting Top Gun. I'm writing my own book. <laughs> So, yeah, you're correct. You cannot do that. It's illegal. Hence, the involvement of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So, the other question that leads us to ask is, where did the money go? Now, 
from my understanding, my from the information that has been provided thus far, I don't see any indication that the money was like embezzled or right. pocketed by right. these guys. Right. That doesn't. No one has made that accusation. There doesn't. See, there's not been any evidence presented in public so far that that right. is the case. And it's we all think, oh, they stole the money. Like, no, they didn't steal it. They just didn't spend it wisely. Well, and and just to be to be clear here, um, you and I are not saying that. Uh, we're not basing that only on what we see in the news. Um, you in particular have have your ear pretty close to the ground on this um, in terms of folks you know that work in the department, folks we know that serve on you know some of the boards that interact with the department. And while there, it is certainly the case that there's been just tremendous mismanagement. It does not seem that you know anybody's you know building a new house uh, on Grand Lake using Department of Health federal funds. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's not happening. Um, they use the money to pay, you know, employees, pay salaries, pay the costs of operating the programs that should have been cut years ago. So they just didn't cut things. So yeah. it's like if you just keep paying your bills for years, um, or whatever, and then it it all kind of came due at the same time, and that was the problem that they. It's like if your pay got cut by twenty five percent, and you just kept spending the same amount of money, and you kept spending the same amount of money every month. At some point, you can't pay all those things, and yeah. that's what happened yeah. with them. Yeah. So what happens now? Well, we just had uh, the first round of uh, a, a, a RIF a reduction in force. Um, they laid off about 200 people. And from what I've heard, that affects um, – it's mostly in the counties. It's not in the uh, in the Department of Health proper in the big building here in Oklahoma City. At least so far. And so it's been a lot of counties. And so there's a number of counties, and I, I didn't have a chance to confirm the number, but there's a number of counties who don't have a public health nurse right now, and that's really scary and yeah. disappointing. Yeah. Um, they There was some talk about maybe consolidating you know, uh, county health departments. And the hard part about this is that you know, Oklahoma City and Tulsa maybe it's different, but in a lot of these rural counties, like I've been to a lot of the, the county health departments, and that is like the... In some counties, that's the medical hub of the community, right? Like those counties, there's not a lot of people. They're spread out. And they know they can go to the county seat, to the county health department. They can get their vaccinations for their children. They can get treated for diseases that they can't because there's not a hospital nearby. Cause they can get tested for things. They can get tested. Um, they can at least get information. Now, they may not want to go because, you know, their cousin's sister works there or something. And it's, it is a small world after all. But um, but that's a big deal, and so to lose that capacity is a big hit for the state. Yeah, and I mean, there's public safety. You know, there's public safety issues here too. The state Department of Health is responsible for uh, coordinating response to terrorism events, to infectious disease outbreaks. Um, you know, there was. I mean, this is a small example, but a few weeks ago, there was at the Oklahoma the Oklahoma City Zoo. There was a bat, a dead bat that was found on one of the walking paths at the Oklahoma City Zoo, which sounds like not a huge. Once so there, there, there was a dead bat, um, it's it's a big deal. Bats are one of a relatively a relatively few number of wild animals in the United States that can be reservoir for the rabies, right? For rabies, for the and rabies, for the rabies. You got the rabies. <laughs> I got the rabies. The rabies. The rabies. Um, so you know, bats are one of the few relatively common animals in the United States that can be a reservoir for the rabies vaccine. So when you find a dead bat in a public space Don't touch with it. no indication of how it died, where does it get sent? It gets sent to the state health department where it's going to be tested for the rabies. I have a photo of the rabies cart 
in the in the basement of yeah. the health department when I was there dropping off a, a blood sample for an HIV yeah. test one time. And I mean, you know, I, I I haven't heard anything else about it, so I assume the thing tested negative. But if that bat had tested positive for rabies, that's a big deal. I thought it was positive. Was it positive? One of my I friends thought, was there when it happened. And oh, I thought it was negative. Oh, I don't know. We'll uh, get back to you on the uh, bats test results, but but you know what I mean. Like this is, I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, Who's not afraid th- of the big black bat? Not. Th- <laughs> <laughs> riddle me this, riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? Um, so, <laughs> I love that you did the hand motion. <laughs> oh Jesus! So, um. Uh, it was not that long ago. It was, what, two years ago that we had a huge outbreak of Ebola in Liberia, right? Um, and there was a real concern about Ebola potentially being, you know, showing up in the, in the United States or showing up in Oklahoma City. If that had happened, who is responsible for coordinating the response to that? It's the State Department of Health. Like, it is a big deal to have an underfunded, understaffed, and grossly mismanaged Department of Health. Right. It seems like one of those things you don't need until you need it. Yeah. There was a there was a report in the news this week that North Korea is trying to figure out. North Korea one recently tested a missile that could reach the United States. Two, um, they are testing a missile this week that they're trying to figure out how to put. They're trying to figure out how to put anthrax on the head of a missile. Oh goody! If there was an anthrax attack in Oklahoma, which is possible because we have Tinker Air Force Base here. Guess who's responsible for coordinating the response to that? The State Department of Health. I don't want to deal with the number of phone calls I'm going to get if that happens. Yeah. Um. So, what happens after this? Now, so there's, there was the reduction in force, and then there is uh, they had furloughs, which ended this this week. It was the last week of furloughs for employees. The as we've mentioned, the Oklahoma. Uh, House of Representatives has a committee that's investigating it. There was a grand jury looking into it, and I believe that has now shifted over to a federal investigation that the FBI, uh, the uh, the Attorney General put out a statement the other day that the FBI and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services would be taking over that investigation. I've heard some discussion at one point that there may be another reduction in force. They may lay off some other employees. That's certainly always possible. I'd heard there was... I'd heard there was one coming in March. Mm, that's too bad. So hopefully not. Um, and so we were, to, and, and then uh, I guess we kind of discussed what the impact will be on the state's ability to respond to public health situations. So that's bad news bears all the way around. Yeah, you know it, this was, you know, I think it was this was an episode where we, you know, we kind of got into the weeds a little bit in terms of the timeline, but I think that's important. You know, I mean, this is one of the things that if, if people, if people, if we, if we don't want these kind of things to happen at our state agencies, then we all need to be more engaged. You know what I mean? Like there's always the chance that bad people will do bad things. Sure. Sure. But I think one of the things that I don't know, I just think that the, um, you know, What's it called? The sunlight. I think sunlight is the best disinfectant. I think that sounds that sounds lovely. That sounds nice. Justice Brandeis. Publicity is justly commended as a remedy for social and industrial diseases. Sunlight is said to be the best of disinfectants 
electric light, the most efficient policeman. The most important political office is that of the private citizen. Very nice. So, um, so I think we've sufficiently covered the situation at the State Department of Health. It is a big mess, and it's still unfolding. I don't know that they have any. I think they have some additional testimony coming. Uh, Representative Cockcroft kind of joked that he would call them back on Christmas Eve, and um, so I we'll wait and see if anything else comes out. Um, it's been a, a bumpy ride so far, and it may be to the point now that the feds are taking over. Um, which is not good for a few individuals, uh, but hopefully good for our state. So we have not addressed what's actually been going on at the state legislature this week. Uh, They're back for the second special session that came back on Monday. The extra, extra story. That's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It's not unusual to be there for session. (laughs) Shit, I don't know. So what's actually been going on up there it is extraordinary that they've basically just been going back to go back and repass the what was called the Legacy Wells bill to bring the gross production tax rate from 1% to 7% on really old oil and gas wells. It brings in a little bit of money that we need, and this is what they're doing to fill it uh, up so that Good old Legacy Wells so at Neighborhood Deadbend. That's right. Legacy Wells. So the goal is to get that money so that the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority doesn't have to cut the Medicaid provider rate, which would be a good thing. Yes. So um, so it's, that's been moving that's along. Really, I mean, that's really it. And it's going to pass, I think. It's I mean, going to pass. I've, it's I've, moved really smoothly. Yeah. It's Nothing's really, nothing. Has no. really, they've come back. Now, yeah, we'll pass it, and they're, I think their goal is to adjourn, to pass it and adjourn tomorrow, or are they going to adjourn Tuesday? Yes, tomorrow, maybe, and then she could sign it Friday night? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, this was the way special session was supposed to work. Right, right. Just come in, do this one thing, get it done, goodbye. So, all right. As always, thanks for joining us here on Let's Pod This. If you enjoy our content, please like us on facebook please follow us on twitter please subscribe to the pod please review the pod please download the pod and tell your friends yes tell them to do that too right our podcast is edited and produced by scott and me and let's pod this as a member of the mostly harmless media network here in oklahoma our theme music is graciously provided by the sugar-free all-stars If you haven't already connected with us, we'd love for you to go to our website, sign up for our newsletter. We're a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. We strive to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. Remember, decisions are made by those who show up.